Well, this morning I chose uh, John 6, uh, not really for a very significant reason, but uh, John 6 has really spoken to me as I was uh, spending time in the book of John uh, in recent past. I mean, the way I look at uh, John 6 is a microcosm of the ministry of Christ, and also it shows us how he's, he was interacting with the crowd, the religious leaders, with his disciples, and most of all, how he was communicating to them the very reason why he came to this world. Of course, Jesus Christ uh, had to go through some hurdles, because there are some people who basically, because of their unbelief, just couldn't understand what he was trying to communicate to them. And we know that Satan you know, is the prince of this world, the prince of darkness, and he's holding off their hearts. But I want us to open our Bibles to the book of John, chapter 6. It started with Jesus going away or going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the crowds, it says, were following him. Many people have different reasons why they follow somebody. Perhaps some of us want to follow because that guy has something to give to us. Or for some young men, they follow a beautiful girl because that interested them to know the girl much more. But according to the rule of God, they were following him. Why? Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So he was healing. He was showing miracles. People walked, people saw, people heard, and people got healed from their illness. And they were interested to know more about the very miracle that Jesus Christ was doing. And there was a lot of crowd, there were about 5,000 men, excluding the children and the women. And Christ saw an opportunity to show to the disciples what they can do. And then he asked Philip, Philip, where can we buy the food to feed these people? I mean, Philip coming from that region should know where to get the food. But look at how Philip answered the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ asked where we can buy the food. But what did Philip say? Lord, hmm, it takes a lot of money. He was worrying about how much it will cost them to feed the 5,000 and more. And he said that it takes about eight months' salary to feed the 5,000 and more. And Philip said, we don't have the money. So, Lord, we cannot feed them. But then Andrew, I mean, you know Andrew, I mean, Andrew is a guy who we don't hear much about uh, in the scriptures. But one or another, there's always time that Andrew, Andrew come in time. And this time Andrew said, uh, Lord, I saw a boy who had five barley loaves and two fish. 
But Lord, 5,000 and more, it's not enough. It cannot feed anyone. The Lord wanted to show his compassion to the people. At the same time, he wants to show to the disciples who he was. The Lord took what was insufficient to feed the hungry and satisfy them. And in fact, there's even more leftovers after the five barley loaves and two fish were distributed. The Lord gave thanks to the Father for the five loaves and the two fish. And John said he distributed them. If you go to the book of Mark, it was the disciples who were distributing the food. What if you were Andrew, or what if you were Philip, or what if you were Peter? You were given some parts of the fish and the bread. And then as you give the food to each one of the people, what do you observe? What would you have seen? When one get a piece of a loaf of bread and the fish, it was not consoled. There was still more left. And the word, the word of God says that they were filled and they were satisfied. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you know what, it's not good to waste the leftovers. Why would you collect the the leftovers. And how many leftovers were left? Twelve baskets full of food. Well, sometimes you and I may think, you know, why should you worry about the leftovers? But look what happened, only five loaves and two fish, and the leftovers were more than what was originally available. Now, what is insufficient, what is not enough, when given fully to the Lord, can be used abundantly and much more. It didn't say uh, how did uh, the uh, disciples uh, react, but it did say how the crowds reacted. What did they do? They want him to be the king. And not only that, they also realized that he was a prophet. They thought, this is, this is the prophet that Moses is talking about. A Moses that's, who was like, I mean, a prophet who was like Moses. And they want to take him by force and make him king. What did the Lord do? He withdrew and went to a solitary place. The other gospel said that Jesus Christ withdrew and communed with the Father. He withdrew and prayed. You may, you may find it strange. Now here's a time that Jesus Christ 
can be recognized as king. And everywhere, not only in the particular place, but all of Judea and surrounding towns and countries, no one will know who Jesus Christ was, but he be true. That was not the way God planned to be, but he communed with the Father. Remember in early ministry, uh, they were healing the sick, and Jesus Christ spent one morning spending uh, time with the Father and in prayer, and the disciples were looking for him. Why? Because the crowds were already waiting for them. And the disciples said, Lord, remember the crowds are there. Why are you here? But you know what Christ said to them? Let's go to another town and preach the gospel. Jesus Christ never lost sight of why he came. He never allowed the business of his life to destroy that communion with the Father. As he was spending alone with the, uh, with the Father, he asked the disciples to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And what happened, the Word of God says that it was dark. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And they were rowing hard for about three, four miles. It was difficult. It was dark. The wind was blowing. It was stormy. And then Christ walked on the water and he walked towards them. And what was the reaction? They were afraid. They were frightened. And once Christ told them that it is me, it is I. And he said that they were glad to take him into the boat. And what happened? Things changed. There was calmness. And not only that, they reached the other side safely. In fact, the book of John said that they were glad to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Somehow, students of the Bible says that this can be, this can be a second miracle. It was stormy, they were in the middle of the sea, and then when Christ was with them, they were on the other side. And what happened? There were some, pe some people, some parts of the crowd that were left on the other side, and then they saw that Jesus Christ was gone, the disciples were gone, and so they were looking, because they wanted to follow and seek the Lord and find out some more on what he was doing. Then verse 25, John said, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus Christ went straight to the point. What was really in their heart? Why they were following him? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate, you feel of the loves. 
You were following because you were satisfied. Because I meet your physical needs. You followed me because you see me filling up your needs. Jesus Christ basically extended their selfish and temporary reason for following him and seeking to a more eternal consequence. He said, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. I'm not sure what you think about that. Jesus Christ basically wanted them to think farther that life is just not to eat. We may eat to live, but we don't live to eat. But Christ even said, I want you to seek for the food that is eternal. And then he said, the Son of Man will give it to you. He said, seek for the food that is eternal, then I'm going to give it to you. Why? He said, for and him, for in me, God the Father set his self. Christ basically claimed that he was approved by God the Father to come and satisfy their eternal needs, their spiritual needs. And you can see the frame of mind of the crowd. They ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay? What can we do? Many times that's our reaction, and oftentimes we have that kind of reaction. I come to save you. And then basically telling here, Oh Lord, well, what, can I, what, can, what can I do so that I can be saved? And Jesus Christ told them very clearly. He said, This is the work of God that what? That you believe in him whom he has sent. In other words, Christ said that you believe in me because I was sent by God the Father. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work for your salvation. Only you have to believe in me. The question is, what it is to believe in Christ? And Jesus Christ used a metaphor here later on. They asked him, what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? And then they said, our father, Moses, gave us the manna when they were in the wilderness. But then Christ said, it was not Moses who gave you. It was God the Father. But I am now come to give you the true bread who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. When Christ said that, he said, Lord, give us this bread. 
No, we were the, uh, the reaction of the woman in the world, Samaritan woman. So I said, can you give me water to drink? And I said, why should I give you? No, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. The Christ said, no, I'm going to give you water. You'll never thirst again. And the cross said, Lord, we want to get that bread. Give it to us. And then Christ said, I am the bread. He already claimed that he was sent from God. Now this time he said, I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the declaration of Christ, who he was. At this discourse, he claimed that he's the only source that can satisfy the spiritual need. I am the bread. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me will have eternal life. He didn't say, I am one of them. No. I am the bread. I am the only one that can satisfy you. I am the only one that can take you and give you life and eternal life. And then in verse 27 he said that all who come to me are given by the Father. In other words, sometimes we think it's our choice to come to the Father. But Christ said, no. All who come to me are given by the Father. I'm not sure when uh, some of us may call themselves uh, Calvinistic, <laughs> but looking at this passage, really, we can find here that there's some kind of And evidence what Calvin was claiming out here. That anyone who comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ is not because of your choice, but because it was the Father. All who come to him are given by the Father. And he claimed in 38 that he is sent by the Father to do his will. And when he will do that, I want us to look at this. He said in verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has given me, but raise it up on the last day. In other words, in the one that the Father has given to me, I will keep them. And no one who will come to me will never be cast out. And verse 14 said, This is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Christ is telling us that, you know, once you are saved, once you are brought before the Son, 
You say that you're there because God drew you close to Him. And once you are close to me, once you believe in me, once you give yourself to me, you'll never be cast out. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember in John 10, Christ said, no one can snatch them out of my hand. Yeah, I am come to give them life and have it more abundantly, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. And Christ did the same thing here. What the Father has given me will never be cast out. What was the reaction? They grumbled. I think in another translation it says that the, the, the Jews who were hostile to Christ, they were grumbling. Why? They were asking about his claim. He said, just a minute, he claimed that he's the bread of life. Don't you know him? Maybe he's the son of Joseph the carpenter and Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph. How could he claim that he is the bread of life? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ didn't contest what they think, but what did he say? Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We he repeat the same thing again, that the Father will be drawing anyone to come to him. Christ, look at it. This is your reason to argue with them who he was, because he exactly knew who he was. Then in verse 47 he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one ate of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. But then he said, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus Christ was metaphorical and explained to them how they can be saved. Basically, Jesus Christ in simple terms, and he said this, that all you have to do is believe in me. What it is to believe in Christ? No, believing is accepting the work of salvation by Christ. That he was crucified, he gave us his body, and he shed his own blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Believing is apportioning Christ into our lives. And in believing Him, we have eternal life. 
And in believing him, he abides in us and us in him. And in believing him, we will live. We have abundant life. And not only that, we will be living forever. These are the things that the Jews had difficulty with. Because he claimed that he is the bread and that they have to eat him. They have to drink his blood. They were looking at it in a very literal sense. They couldn't picture it. His the bread, his body is the bread that we have to eat, and his blood we have to drink. At the same time, maybe they were thinking, you know. Uh, one of the laws uh, that Moses is giving us is that we should not, what? Eat blood. Because in blood there's life. But now Christ said, you drink the blood because in blood there's life. And they have difficulty uh, understanding what Christ was talking about. But Jesus Christ was basically using this bit of food and telling them that all you have to do is believe in me. But when you believe in me, it is just an intellectual assent to the fact that I come from God and that God the Father sent me. You have to give yourself. You have to commit yourself to me. You have to acknowledge that I am your Savior. You have to acknowledge that I am the Son of God, and you have to acknowledge that I am your Lord. But again, they had problems because eating and drinking is difficult. That's why Jesus Christ explained to them that what I'm talking to you is about the Spirit. You see, in verse 63, this is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus Christ was talking much more than what we could understand. Jesus Christ is telling them that all you have to do is believe in me. He had repeated that a few times. First, in verse 29, what did he say? It is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. And verse 35, what did it say? Whoever shall come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And in verse 40, Christ said, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And in verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Again, believing is basically a pushing Jesus Christ into your own life. Why? Because once you believe in Christ, you are not your own anymore. The giving of his body and the giving of his blood Christ was talking about his sacrificial death on the cross. 
Remember uh, Isaiah 53? I want us to open the Isaiah 53. I think it's good to be reminded on what Isaiah told us about the Messiah. Verse 4, surely has come, has borne our grips, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and inflicted. And it says, but he was wounded for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. He gave his body to suffer. He gave his body to be crucified. And in fact, if uh, we'll go to the uh, letters of Paul, the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 22. I just read this one. He has now reconciled what? In his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above the cross before him. Yes, it was the body that he gave us that was crucified. And then if we go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, Paul said, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He gave his body and his blood, and according to Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And in Hebrews 10, Christ said that he is the final sacrifice. The sacrifice of animals, which is the Old Testament, they were just foreshadowing the very work of salvation that Christ will one day do and ultimately finish once and for all the sacrifice. And First Peter 3, 8 says, For Christ suffered once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So when Jesus Christ again was talking about his body and his blood, he was talking about the very sacrifice that he has to do later on. And you and I can only attain that salvation if you will believe on his work of salvation. That we have to acknowledge that He is the Son of God and that He is the Lord of Lords. That's why Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. With His death, He brought me with a price, and I'm not my own anymore. I am a slave to righteousness. That's why he said, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. 
And what happened? The disciples. When, uh, when John used the word disciple, basically he's using the word disciple as a learner. He was talking about the disciples just like the twelve. That were the people who wanted to know him. But apparently uh, these learners don't have the heart to follow him all through the way. It says in verse 66, After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now perhaps when you and I have that kind of experience, we might be dismayed. Just right here in our group, okay? Just an example. Now we want to grow a number. And when Randy Christ come before a person and said, you know what? This is what you need to do. Take it or leave it. And many left. I think for Andy and the other elders, we will be dismayed because half of the congregation are gone. But you know, Jesus Christ wanted people who come and follow him follow him for the right reason. Those people who left, they followed him for the wrong reasons. They were only interested for what is good for them, physically. They were only interested for who will be freeing them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. They couldn't understand that this Christ came more than saving them from the presence of the Romans in their own land. And so, what happened? Christ went to the twelve and asked them, do you want to go away as well? Now you have heard me talking about my body as a bread and my blood as a drink. You have heard me talking about me being sent by God the Father to save the world. Will you do the same thing? Will you desert me? I like the answer of Peter. This is the declaration of Peter. Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And this is what he said, you have the words of eternal life. We believe you. We know that it's only in you that we have eternal life. We have believed and have come to know you that you are the Holy One of God. I mean, this is a declaration by Peter that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that Jesus Christ was the Savior of the world. 
And Peter, we're not going anywhere. When you ask us to follow you and become fishers of men, we left everything. We gave up everything and followed you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Lord, as we come with you, we came to know who you really are. We are convinced that you have the eternal life. We are convinced that you are coming from the Father. We are convinced that you are the very Messiah that we are looking for. I just want to give you a few things that I have uh, gathered from uh, this chapter. One, Christ is the only way to the Father. He's the bread of life. And the one was called to do the same work of salvation. No one else. No one under heaven that was given whereby you and I will be saved. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said that you do not have to work for your salvation. All you have to do is believe in me. Believe in me. You and I are saved through his grace by faith. And once we believe in him, we give ourselves to him, he will never cast us out. We are secure in Christ. And he said, he gave them eternal life, and they will never lose that eternal life. And not only that, he also promised that he will abide in them. He will abide in us, nourish us and nurture us through his word, and through the Holy Spirit who indwells in us. Guys, if there's anyone who can claim that we're chosen by God, it's you and me. But just a question now of not only knowing that we are God's children, but the question is, how can we see the world that we are God's children? And I think that's the one that you and I need to understand and study and live on. That as God's children, we have to walk in the light as he is in the light. We have to love others as he's the one who loved at first. Because one day, Christ will come and we will be with him. And we will be with him forever. And that's a promise that cannot be taken away from you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you can give us the desire to know you. 
through your word. Lord, I do pray that you continue to show to us and help us to develop that very conviction that you want to build in our own lives. Lord, even uh, this morning we will be uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Lord, help us to understand our relationship with you and help us grow in our relationship with you that one day in your own time, in your own way, will be transformed from one degree to another, that all of us will be like you. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.